Alright, everybody, welcome to the July 28th edition of Cascadian Views. We're back after some technical difficulties last week. I've got uh, Dan here with me. How are you, Dan? I'm doing alright, Brock. How are you? I am sweltering. It's like 100 degrees down here. It has been twice this week. Um, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. It's, it's really bad. One of our forest fires killed somebody uh, a little bit farther south in the state. Um, and... You know what, just to shoot the shit before we start, that's a good point. Have you been watching what the news has been saying about all these forest fires around the world? Uh, so yeah, the one clip it I saw was that there are really bad fires in the Arctic right now, which was kind of shocking and terrifying. So we we actually do have forest fires up in Alaska fairly yeah. often, um, but there were there were a lot of places uh, suffering from these fires, which are places that do not. Uh, Greece being one of the, the chief ones among them. And there was a surprisingly strong consensus across uh, a lot of the news media from scientific pundits that this is a direct consequence of global warming. We're, we're starting to see this. You know, this places are getting hotter. Japan just had one of its worst ever heat waves that killed people over there. Uh, so it was interesting. Usually you hear a lot of equivocation. Uh, you heard it a lot when they were talking about hurricanes and whatnot. This was something that they were actually directly attributing to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's getting harder and harder to ignore when you get these multi-week stretches of triple-digit temperatures in places where, you know, it might happen, you know, a few times in a year, but, you know, suddenly it's the better part of a month. I mean, I think... Yeah, I think mostly about, you know, places like, uh, you know, Texas and parts of California that become increasingly inhospitable. But, yeah, it's it's all over the world. Uh, I was delayed for like four hours on a flight through uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor once because it was too hot to take off. The runways apparently get soft and it's not safe to, like, land or whatnot at temperatures above 118 or whatever. Oh. Yeah, th this is areas that are unfit for human habitation, include Phoenix, Arizona. But also, we're starting to see that creep out. Like, it's not just a middle-of-the-desert type thing. Yeah, yeah, well, shoot, I'm going to be making a uh, business trip to eastern Washington this week. And, yeah, I think I I'm expecting triple-digit temperatures for the week. That's what it usually ends up getting at when I head out that way. Just, yeah, yikes. Not looking forward to that at all. It was 107 this week in Troutdale, which is uh, a smaller suburb. It's situated white, uh, right next to Gresham. They touch. So it's not like mm -hmm. far out there, not in the high desert out there in the east. It's in the Portland metro, like easily. You can get to it on TriMet, and I think the max stops like maybe two miles away from it. Not far away at all. 107. Ugh. Yikes. All right. Well, let's get into the actual news this week. Um, Michael Cohen uh, has grown a spine of some sort. Uh, also, the tapes he made of, of Trump have been released, at least a couple of them. One was provided to CNN, and I guess Bloomberg heard another one but hasn't posted it anywhere. Yeah, I, this is increasingly damaging stuff that he is putting out in the public. I mean, it's probably not anything that you know the investigation was not already aware of and it's the sort of thing that you know people who are following the news pretty closely have assumed are probably out there but yeah it's putting out real audio of uh 
Donald Trump involving himself in these uh, payment discussions, these hush money discussions, which he spent a lot of time insisting that he knew absolutely nothing about. So it's, you know, I think pretty visceral evidence against the president. Uh, again, not sure what it proves beyond what isn't already available from testimony, but it's something that can absolutely go up on the major news networks and you know make the president look like a liar in case anyone wasn't convinced that he was. Now, I maybe I just don't understand the type of case and the pressures that uh, these lawyers are under and what they need to do to succeed in this, but I don't really see why his lawyer would recommend releasing this. Cohen's lawyer? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't really think of it as part of a legal strategy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it seems just to stir up some shit. Like, if, yeah. if Cohen had done it personally, that's one thing. But his lawyer released it. At least yeah. the one CNN did. Lanny Davis handled it. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets back a little bit to what, you know, Cohen's motives have to be right now. I mean, on one part, you know, the thought was that maybe he was going to want a pardon, you know, you know, and maybe Trump would be willing to give it to him if uh, he was able to arrange it and if he could protect him from all the legal jeopardy that he's in in order to keep him from testifying. But uh, it's you know very much starting to look like that's not the road these two are going to go down. He's uh, making a lot of signals about how you know he's going to cooperate with the investigation. You know, assuming again that he's got something that you know Mueller wants. Uh, I think that's a pretty safe assumption. He seems to be pretty deep in a lot of Trump's business, but yeah, yeah, that's yeah. As far as this particular move, I mean, yeah, it, it gets the president upset, makes the president look bad. So it, it's definitely burning the bridge in terms of uh, any possibility of a pardon. It also um, seems to contribute very legal, little legally to his defense. I mean, yeah, nothing really. If yeah. these things were important, they'd be in court. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't make Cohen look any more innocent. He's just, you know, collaborating with Trump on this particular scheme. You know, he's kind of coming up with the idea and getting Trump's okay for it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the best that, part. That Cohen looks sleazy as hell in this. Oh, yeah. Well, but well, also, he he's not the president, so I think that makes him come off a little bit better, even though I, I, I don't even know it should. Yeah. It, it goes to, you know, put make it very clear that the president is down in the muck with the scummiest pseudo lawyer in New York. <laughs> that's that's an awfully high bar, man. Yeah. So the president tweeted about this, uh, basically trashing Cohen, uh, mm. also calling it incredibly illegal. Which I want to clarify a couple things. New York is a single party state. He does not need the president's consent to record that. Whether or not he's ethical. I can totally buy a case with somebody being debarred over this, but there is not a chance in hell that's illegal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, exactly one-party consent state. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned there the possibility of ethical and bar proceedings, and I think, yeah, he definitely has some exposure in doing this because, you know, he's certainly claimed that he was uh, Trump's attorney. Uh, that's why he's asserted uh, attorney-client privilege over a number of the pieces of evidence that was seized from him, uh, Trump has absolutely claimed attorney-client privilege on a lot of this. Except, uh, hold on, except, let's get to yeah, the best I, part of the story. Trump gave him a waiver. Why? 
These tapes only came out because Trump himself waived the attorney-client privilege on these tapes. I and that makes no sense at all. That makes no goddamn sense. Uh, I mean, yeah, you've got Giuliani going out there claiming that this proves the president is innocent, but that's crap. That's total garbage. It does nothing of the kind. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, Trump just can't get a good lawyer, really. Did he want this? Why? Why would you waive it for these tapes? Yeah, I. The the theory that I've heard going around is that a lot of the information that's getting out from Cohen right now that uh, the Trump camp wants to get out there supposedly is to burn his leverage for a deal with Mueller, which doesn't help Trump at all, really. Uh, you know, if Cohen has nothing left to give, then Mueller has all the information. So it, it doesn't really seem like an effective legal strategy. I mean, if he wants to make sure that Cohen goes down with him, then yeah, I guess that's one way to do it. But this it, is the same not. group that decided uh, because the New York Times may possibly call the president's son treasonous, they just leaked the entire treasonous email chain on Twitter. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a history. Yeah, just the too clever by half, or I, I don't know, maybe they are smart because uh, they've got, well, you know, y people talk about the base and the people that will never abandon no matter what. And it probably works a little better with those folks if it's Trump putting the information out. It uh, looks a little bit less like he's got something to hide, even though he probably should be hiding this kind of stuff <laughs> if he could. Uh, but they can say, you know, oh, well, he put it out there, so clearly he's got nothing to hide, you know, even though, oh, that's extremely damaging and <laughs> implicating evidence. But, uh, yeah, if they just say, oh, no, no, it's it's fine. It's, it's, it's stuff that proves he's innocent. You know, don't pay attention to actually what it is. Just pay attention to the fact that Trump himself is getting this information out there. But, you know, that... They'd believe it even if it was being published in terms of like some you know, release from the investigation or if it was showing up in the indictment papers. They'd still think, oh, well, this just proves he's innocent because Trump would say so and they would buy it. I, I'm not really sure it really convinces anybody outside this group that is on board for shooting Mueller in the head on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. All right. Uh, the other thing we're going to touch on briefly before we get to our, our Senate roundup we want to spend most of the day on. Um, nobody will hear it now, but we had a, a brief mention last week about the president inviting Putin into uh, the White House in the lead up to the midterms. This was a monumentally stupid decision. We all knew it was mm -hmm. a monumentally stupid decision. And, uh, well, the, the president has now realized it's a monumentally stupid decision. He's canceled it. Well, pushed it back till after the first of the year, but is now entertaining the idea of going to Moscow instead in this time period. I can't... It, well, ugh. yeah, I was actually just about to say, like, the, the reciprocal offer has been made. I mean, if you're trying to imagine what could be worse than Trump bringing Putin here, 
uh, where, you know, in theory, he has at least some kind of upper hand. You know, he is the president. This is his territory, uh, you know, home field advantage to be crude. Uh, yeah, to go directly to Moscow and pull the same, you know, obsequious, uh, you know, slavish, I'm going to, yep, everything Putin says is right, and my intelligence agencies don't know anything, they're dumb, boo, America sucks, yay Putin. Uh, that seems like the only thing that could be worse. My my favorite part about this is I think it might be Putin fucking with the president. So oh, sure. So Trump came out and was like, somebody in the news media, I forget who, asked him if he would go to Moscow. He said he'd love to as soon as Putin invites him. He hasn't invited him, so nothing's <laughs> on the table. Putin immediately turns around and invites him to Moscow to replace this this canceled trip. And the president has to just be like, Okay, we'll work something out. Cause you <laughs> called my bluff. Oh yeah. <coughs> yeah. It, it, what imagine what he's got on him? He's got him by the damn balls. He really does. There is something there. The the compromat or or however you do it. JJ is mm -hmm. Russian. I can't do Russian. <laughs> Moose and squirrel. All right. Let's let's talk about this Senate now. Yeah. Um, this is this is one I'm pretty scared of. Um, I am I am firmly convinced, and you'll probably have to pull me out of this. I'm firmly convinced that we are going to come out of this election, probably winning the house, but down Senate seats from where we are right now. There's there's a lot going on on this map, yeah. and not a lot of it is friendly for us. Uh, yeah, if you're looking for someone to talk you out of it, that's uh, not going to be me, uh, because I, I see the same numbers that you do here, and uh, by my reckoning, we've got, I'd say, about 10, uh, you know, probably somewhere between 9 and 11 competitive Senate races, depending on how you measure New Jersey, depending on, you know, whether or not you want to call West Virginia and Montana, you know, half a competitive race each. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty scary, uh, the way this map is because of all those competitive seats, uh, you've got two, arguably three that are currently in Republican hands and all the rest are Democrats and they're already starting two seats down from the majority. This is, uh, kind of the, uh, echo year of, uh, two very good election cycles for Democrats in the Senate, 2006 and 2012. 2006, I believe they gained six seats, and then they gained another, I want to say three in 2012, so already a very heavily Democratic class became even more so in 2012, and a lot of them are in some fairly fluky states where they managed to either gain their seats or hold on to their seats in some bizarre circumstances, and I guess if you wanted to just kick right off and talk about you know, two of the most endangered seats. I mean, there'd be the ones in Missouri and Indiana. And that was where uh, Claire McCaskill won in 2012 against uh, Todd Aiken, uh, who the uh, coiner of legitimate rape and how that entered the lexicon. A opponent she very skillfully manufactured herself. She intervened Absolutely. in uh, the Republican primary there in order to push Aiken through. Right, yeah. Well, she, you know, was fairly smart. She ran a bunch of ads attacking him as too conservative. And, yeah. you know, yeah. the uh, 
you know, screw you, lib turds. We're going to vote exactly. for you know, the most yeah. conservative guy you got, you know, went for him. And yeah, suddenly he came out of the primary and starts musing, you know, getting really, you know, letting uh, letting us all know what he thinks about rape. So <laughs> good good for good for Todd Aiken and good for Claire McCaskill because she was able to beat him pretty handily in a year where I think a lot of people were expecting her to be in real trouble. And then a couple states over in Indiana, uh, fairly similar, although yeah, I'd say less agency on the Democratic side in making it happen. Uh, the incumbent there, uh, Dick Luger, ended up getting beat by uh, this, uh, I think the state treasurer, Richard Maurdock, and uh, he ended up basically doing the same thing as Aiken, going off about, uh, you know, rape again and, you know, how, you know, people shouldn't abort their babies when they're raped. They should, uh, you know, consider it a gift from God. And you, know, <laughs> you, just, you see Todd Aiken do this like a month earlier and basically go into the same territory. I think actually uh, Kellyanne Conway at the time was uh, going on a lot of places and just screaming about you know why you know, why the party was so full of rape philosophers and they need to just shut the hell up about rape for the last time uh but uh yeah so donnelly ended up getting in there uh over a pretty weak opponent and uh, as uh, you've pointed out hasn't really done a lot to distinguish himself since he got absolutely there. nothing i yeah, can't think he... of a single signature piece of legislation or even a proposal Anything sure. sponsored that generated any sort of discussion. Yeah, well, he's he's been in the minority all this time, but you well not all this time. I guess he had two years, but uh, yeah, you can't really do a lot uh, from the minority, and he certainly hasn't tried. I think he's probably hoped that Republicans would forget about him, but that seems very unlikely in a very very conservative state. So yeah, you don't uh, this want time, your voters to forget about you. Uh, yeah. I, this is a, a topic I'm sure we're going to get into because it's one of my mm -hmm. favorite things about Manchin. But when you're yeah. representing a state that does not jive with you politically, uh, you have to give the voters a reason to send you yourself to Washington. Mm -hmm. And Donnelly has not done that. He's been yeah. a ghost. Yeah, it helps to be a lot more colorful, uh, I think, at least it, depending. You know, there's certain ways of being colorful. You know, Manchin does it pretty well. I think John Tester also does it pretty well in Montana. But yeah, Donnelly's a ghost. And this time, both he and McCaskill, they've got real and fairly disciplined opponents. Uh, Donnelly probably in a little worse shape than McCaskill. Uh, but in Missouri, at least, it's been some outside circumstances that have been buoying her up for the last few months, at least. Uh, the governor had a pretty horrifying uh, sexual abuse scandal. Uh, and a lot of uh, campaign finance and uh, fraud scandal kind of drifting around him as well. And he spent a couple of months refusing to resign, even as the entire state Republican Party was screaming for him to get out. So f he finally did. So I guess that immediate, uh, immediate damaging information is no longer there, but it still certainly lingers. Uh, her opponent is the state attorney general who was responsible for prosecuting the case against the governor. And there was some criticism about him slow walking that. And there's also been some criticism about him just not being a very good campaigner. So if things go her way, she might be able to pull it out. But Donnelly's in a lot more trouble. He, uh, 
has an opponent who is, I guess, a political outsider a little bit. He's uh, a businessman. Uh, I want to say Mike Braun, I think the name is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he managed to beat uh, two uh, state legislators who were, oh, no, were Congress people. I think they were both members of Congress who were uh, ro- trying to win the Republican primary, and they just uh, damaged each other too much, and he uh, managed to get on past both of them. So really, in a state as Republican as Indiana, you just need to be a generic Republican and he's probably that maybe a little plus on that side. So Donnelly's going to be in real trouble, I think, unless there is so much asymmetric mobilization nationwide that you know Republicans are just refusing to vote in droves. I think he's going to be in real trouble. You know, there hasn't been a lot of polling, and most of it's shown him at least a couple of points down. Uh, I think. Once there's more, you know, starting probably after Labor Day, it's going to show him at a more serious deficit, and it's going to be a lot harder for him to get out of that by the time Election Day comes around. I mean, the one thing he's got going for him is it's rare for out-party incumbents to lose in a midterm, but, you know, it certainly can happen. The the only public poll that RCP has on this race is from a couple months ago, and it has Braun in the lead by one. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd guess it's probably closer to a three to four point lead right now. So not insurmountable, but really hard to get out of, especially in a state as conservative as Indiana. Um, McCaskill is is hovering a little bit higher. There is a Republican sponsored poll that has Holly up too, but other than that, she's been narrowly in the lead in all the other public polls. So yeah, yeah. so she might pull it out again. I think she's got her own personal leprechaun. And she is, she comes from a very prominent family in Missouri politics. There is a long history in the state. I, I think she she relates well. I am much less scared for McCaskill than I am for some of these other races. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she leads, loses, mm-hmm. but my, my gut feeling is she pulls this out. Yeah. Um, there's... We can go right next door to Missouri there. There's an interesting race in Tennessee where mm-hmm. the uh, RCP actually has this as a toss-up, and yet the, the spread on their polls that they're relying on, it, like the most recent one from Emerson, the Democrats up six. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think that's actually true, but it is interesting. Yeah, I mean, these are definitely some small polls, but... They have shown a pretty significant lead. Uh, uh, what I think is partly what's going on there is uh, some pretty bad candidate recruitment on the part of Republicans. This is a seat that is currently held by Bob Corker. Uh, he was too critical of uh, Donald Trump, and so he ended up facing the wrath of the Republican base and decided with his uh, poll numbers going down that it just wasn't worth it. And he was going to not run for re-election. So Democrats lucked out. They uh, got former Governor Phil Bredesen to run. Uh, fairly popular. He served a couple terms. Porker uh, is all but campaigning for him. Exactly. And then the Republicans, they crapped out. They ended up getting probably one of the crazier members of their delegation, Marsha Blackburn, as their candidate. You so say this, they crapped out, but she is a darling of the right wing. She, oh, sure. She is an absolute superstar among Republicans. I think they think they got a pretty 
strong candidate, the best one for their party, probably. I, I'm not sure that's what Mitch McConnell would say. Though. I I would agree with that, but I don't think yeah. Mitch McConnell is all that representative of his party either. No, he 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 doesn't have a say on this, and uh, yeah, it's not how he would like it, but he's going to have to live with it. Yeah, so I think this is a tough one. It's a state where I think the just the general demographics would clearly favor the Republicans, but it's close, mostly on account that uh, they've <coughs> drawn a pretty weak candidate and the Democrats have drawn a pretty strong one. So if you're counting at home, I think this is one that could end up flipping in the positive column, but more likely than not, I think is unlikely to. I will eat something very strange if Tennessee swings Democrat in the Senate. I, I yeah. see these polls showing him up by significant margins, and I don't buy it for a goddamn second. I think Marsha Blackburn is the senator yeah. this time next year. Yeah, I think what the last one was probably Al Gore. Yeah. I don't think they've sent a Democrat since Al Gore. Yeah. They've they've had Democratic governors a couple times, but sure. Yeah, no. But yeah, nothing in federal races. Uh, kind of hopping and skipping over to the Midwest, I think, to kind of stay in the parts of this map where uh, things look particularly bad for Democrats. Uh, North Dakota uh, is another one that I would say is probably right up there with uh, Indiana in terms of a likely loss. Uh, this is uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp's uh, first re-election bid there. Uh, she got I guess, uh, yeah, shoot, I'm not sure how much presidential, you know, coattails helped her or hurt her in 2012 because, you know, it's a state that Obama lost pretty handily. But uh, she's holding on. Uh, I think the polls have had her somewhere between, you know, one to two points down for the most part. <coughs> Maybe one showing her up. I'm sorry, just a moment. I've got <coughs> dry mouth. Okay. Right. And that is our weekly lesson on the importance of hydration. <laughs> the, uh, okay. uh, the other thing that's interesting about the North Dakota race, I think, is that the president has kind of repeatedly offered high camp some help. Well, he's tried to recruit her into becoming a Republican a couple of times. Yeah, uh, he's also, offered to come out and campaign with her. In fact, they did appear at a rally together. She was very muted. She didn't really respond to anything. She was just kind of there perfunctory as one of the uh, state senators. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I'm thinking, you know, the, some of the history there. He uh, tried to get her into the cabinet. I think he was trying to recruit her to be Secretary of Agriculture or something like that. And then later on, yeah, tried to just convince her to become a Republican. But she hasn't taken the bait. And now she's got a uh, an opponent who has won a statewide election. He's the uh, current congressman from North Dakota, uh, John Kramer, I want to say. Kevin. Or Kevin Kramer. Kevin. Senator Kevin. That's where we are in America now. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> digression. Sorry, Kevins. Uh, yeah, and I think dynamics are probably going to be pretty similar to Indiana, honestly. Uh, Heitkamp's been a little less invisible than Donnelly, so... Maybe she's got a better chance of surviving, but I think if one goes down, certainly the other is likely to go down, too. Mason Dixon pulled this race just a month ago and had Kramer up by four. I, I strongly believe Heitkamp is toast. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be hard for her to pull out of that. Uh, especially North Dakota, I, I don't think it's as explicitly partisan as, say, like Tennessee is. But I do believe it's incredibly culturally conservative to the point where a, a Democrat just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an odd. There was a lot of legacy, you know, Democratic senators in the Dakotas and Montana for a oh, very I, long time. When I was in high school, I believe our, our Senate Majority Leader was uh, from the uh, Dakotas. Tom, Tom, Tom Daschle, yeah. yes, uh, South Dakota, I believe. But yeah, both senators, both North Dakota and South Dakota had two Democratic senators each up through, yeah, Daschle was the first of them to lose. So, yeah, two thousand up through 2004, they were, you know, a completely democratic delegation from both states, at least uh, at least on the Senate side. They had they tended to have Republican representatives, although for a while South Dakota also had a uh a uh, yeah, I think it was South Dakota that had a uh, democratic representative in the house. Uh, we can go next door now to Montana, where John Tester is facing off against a clone of himself, Matt Rosedale. Right. Well, a guy who certainly has gone out of the way to look like him. Yeah, they yeah. have the exact same hair. The only difference in their, their candidate photos is that Rosendale has a dimple on his chin. Other yeah. than that, they are exactly the same. Yep. Uh, so this is one where I think, uh, where we, uh, you mentioned, uh, Joe Manchin. I think there's a little bit of a similar dynamic here. Uh, Tester has had a very good relationship with the constituents in Montana. Uh, he, uh, won originally in 2006 on the back of a very strong grassroots campaign. He was also a really big early favorite of the, uh, net roots. He was a real, uh, Cause celebrity on uh, Daily Cause back in those days as well. And he's really kept it up. He's done a lot to stay in touch with the state. Uh, he, you know, looks absolutely as Montana as you can possibly be. You know, the flat top haircut. He's missing a couple of fingers from a farming accident. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the real deal. And uh, I think, yeah. I think the odds are pretty good for him. Uh, some of the polls have had him up by more than I think he really is, but you know, I mean, just like some like ten points up in some cases. And I think it's going to be closer than that. But even even the Republican-sponsored poll, which by the way is huge, two thousand five hundred eighty-one people. That's like in, in one of the tiniest states. I was yeah. going to say that's like a significant portion of Montana's population has him up by by three. But that yeah. that's a Republican-sponsored poll. Mm -hmm. I I have bad gut feelings about this, and maybe I just don't understand it. Maybe I would never fit in in Montana. But when I watch John Tester on the news, on rallies, and things like that, he is just completely unrelatable. I, mm -hmm. I have a hard time imagining this man having the charisma to get people to vote for him. And I, I guess it seems like they do. I'm looking at these polls, and it's much less dire than I thought. Yeah. I assumed he was toast. Maybe I'm just not at all cut out to be from Montana. No, he's 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 low key popular, you know. Uh, and actually, he was in a lot more trouble in 2012. Uh, he was uh, running against Denny Rayberg then, and they re actually what kind of saved him there was uh, there was a 
libertarian candidate on the ballot that probably took a couple percentage points out of Rayburg's hide. But but for that, he might not have gotten reelected in 2012. But he's in much better shape this time around. He's got a weaker opponent. Uh, he's got he's a carpetbagger. Yeah, that's right. His opponent uh, came out from uh, New Jersey, I believe, where where he made most of his money. And interestingly, uh, the current congressman from Montana, Jan Fort, is also from out of state. Uh, I want to say he was from California or possibly Colorado. I uh, don't really recall. He's the one who assaulted the reporter. That's right. Yes. Uh, so, you know, he's certainly got plenty of baggage, and I think the, some of the polls have had even his opponent pretty far up, which uh, a little more surprising, you know, because, you know, the, you know, it, I think the dynamics in the, in a House race are a little bit more favorable to Republicans. Uh Democrats have managed to hold on to seats in Montana for a very long time, even as it's been very, very conservative for decades. Uh, Max Baucus, up until 2014, I want to say, when he finally stepped down, and then there was nobody really in the running that was able to replace him. There's a popular, a very popular uh, Democratic governor who was uh, considering running for president, and he actually succeeded another very popular Democratic governor who has made noises about running for president again and again. So, I mean, they're out there, and uh, they do manage to hold on in a state that demographically isn't that different from the Dakotas or Idaho. I mean, I guess probably a slightly larger Native American population than Idaho, but uh, yeah, and there's, I, I think there's a lot of good government stuff in Montana that helps out there too. Uh, they have a pretty strong vote by mail program, and uh, the vast majority of voters actually vote by mail, so that helps in their voter participation. Certainly, uh, they're also very uh, strong on campaign finance regulation. Uh, they were one of the first states to, you know, put up challenges to the. Uh, uh, Citizens United decision and yeah, passed legislation in an attempt to the yeah Supreme Court told them they, told them they couldn't do that, do that. Yeah. yeah yeah so there th there is a bit of a contrarian streak out there and I think Tester's going to be able to ride that back to another term without too much difficulty the western chunk of Montana is also in the Cascadian biosphere so it's right. kind of home turf sure it's close yeah they they have a Democratic governor if I recall correctly. Too. They do, yeah. Uh, Steve Bullock, yeah. Okay. Is Max Baucus still around? Uh, not in the Senate anymore. Uh, Obama made him ambassador to China. Okay. Wait. Yeah. I thought that was. Uh, I thought Obama made that Republican guy. Uh, that was earlier in his term. That was at the very beginning. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Baucus uh, be was appointed ambassador to China in 2014. And he had a uh, replacement uh, appointment for himself. I think it was lieutenant governor at the time, but he ended up flaming out in a plagiarism scandal. And uh, yeah, there was uh, not really much chance to elect a Democrat <laughs> in Montana in 2014. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we'll we'll go down the road a little bit from there. Nevada is. Actually, a seat I'm very optimistic about. I yeah, here, here's where the news gets better. Yeah. Uh, Dean Heller, uh, the current holder of that seat, uh, is uh, up for re-election. He won 
in a fairly close race in 2012. Um, I was going to say, and he succeeded, I want to say Enzi. Does that sound right? Mike Enzi? Yeah. Uh, right. Who uh, was actually on the way out the door in some pretty hideous scandals of his own. Uh, I believe he was sleeping with the uh, wife of a big Republican bigwig out there. <laughs> you know, just, you know, this kind of scandalous, sleazy stuff. You know, the typical wait, stuff you wait, no, NZ the is party of family values. I'm sorry. NZ is still a senator from Wyoming. Oh, okay. Well, who am I thinking of then? Uh, just a minute. We can actually so, pull this up. Apologies to Mike NZ. <laughs> this is not sleeping with uh, Mucky Muck from... Idaho from Nevada, yeah. Uh, he beat Shelley Berkeley on the Democratic side in the last election. Right. But he was, you know, I'm trying to remember who it was he, pre- he preceded him. Uh, it was, oh, he was actually appointed when John Ensign resigned. It's close to NZ Ensign. Yeah, I, I see uh, where you're going. John Ensign, that's it. He ended up having to resign. Uh so, yeah, and then uh, Heller was appointed to replace him. He won re-election uh, that year. Uh, Nevada is a state that's gone increasingly Democratic in the last decade. Obama won it twice. Uh, Clinton won it relatively easily. Uh, and uh, the Heller's uh, co-senator, uh, uh, Catherine Cortez Masto, uh, won actually very handily this year. So they've uh, recruited a strong candidate in Jackie Rosen, who was elected in a uh, pretty evenly divided uh, district in Nevada. And so the polling has tended to show her up. Uh, Heller was actually pretty terrified of a Tea Party challenge. So he ended up uh, selling his soul to Trump to avoid a uh, nasty primary fight. But it gave him a lot more trouble for the general election. And he's pretty much voted... uh, Against the wishes of his state, against the wishes of Governor Sandoval uh, in his state over several issues, including on the efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Sandoval's Uh, a Republican, by the way. Yes, who, again, (laughs) was very much against the uh, repeal ACA efforts. A very popular politician there. It's a little bit surprising he didn't want to take a run for the seat of his own. He's term limited out. I'm actually fairly sure he would have walked away with it yeah he's probably probably the most popular politician in the state but uh yeah uh so he uh did not uh did not go for that uh heller has uh striving uphill to win re-election and i think uh he's gonna have a tough time yeah i i do not think he, he pulls it out uh rcp is two polls up one from back in april that had him up by one the other more recent from uh Gene has uh, his opponent, Jackie Rosen, up by four. Jackie has not made a national name for herself, which I assume means she's, uh, she's localizing the race, not turning into something, you know, akin to national waves. Yeah. Well, she's also a brand new congressperson. I think she was really just elected in 2016. So, yeah, she's very new to the national stage, but I think she's been around the block in Nevada a bit. And, yeah, she should be able to pull this one off unless uh, unless the election day is catastrophically bad or if there's some kind of Russian intervention that uh, steals a bunch of ballots or something like that. Actually, you know, that's a fair point to make that I didn't bring up in Missouri. Claire McCaskill was actually targeted by the Russians. 
Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, it was uh, a uh, fishing attack or a yeah. spear fishing, whichever you know term you want to call it. The the uh, her uh, a uh, spear campaign ad address from yeah one of her staffers showed up on uh, one of these sites that was pretending to be Microsoft, but was actually run by Fancy Bear. So yeah. Yeah, so they're they're definitely uh, making their uh, making their probes and uh, out to defend their favorite president. Uh, we can go a little bit farther south from Nevada to Arizona, which is uh, still awaiting a uh, a primary. Correct. Right. That's right. I think that's uh, happening in August. I want to say, uh, and that's a wide open seat. Uh, Jeff Flake, a uh, long, you know, harsh critic of the president who doesn't actually do anything to harm the interests of the president uh, has, much like Bob Corker, uh, pissed off enough of the MAGA people that it was increasingly untenable that he could win a Republican primary. So now there is a three-way primary with uh, one candidate who, who might have a chance in the general election on the Republican side, and two who would probably go down in flames horribly. Uh, the candidate that Mitch McConnell really wants to see get through is Martha McSally. She's a congressman, congresswoman who is, I believe she's representing Gabby Gifford's old district. And uh, she certainly polls the best against the uh, Democratic candidate, Kirsten Sinema. Uh, but even still, she's at a deficit right now. The other two are uh, Kelly Ward, who is a state senator who, I guess, does a lot of conspiracy theory mongering. I don't think she's actually been on InfoWars, but InfoWars certainly loves her. She's and, definitely been on the John McCain want to hurry up and die train for a while, too. There was oh, yes. a lot of thought that she would actually leave this race and take McCain's seat in the special, like be appointed. And yeah, then run for McCain's seat the next time it's up as an incumbent. Yep, but uh, yeah, McCain uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't give it up. He's still kind of holding on to it. Uh, I guess he wants to be sure that the governor can appoint Cindy for the seat or something. I don't know, uh, but uh, so it's not an open seat this time around, and will not be until 2020. And then the last one is Joe Arpaio, who can run because he's been pardoned. <laughs> Hold on. Would that actually be illegal? Uh, I didn't think being a felon is a barrier to office. Hell, Eugene Debs ran for president like four times in the jail cell. Yeah, I mean, he could run, but he couldn't actually take the office, I believe. I, uh, I, there is not... And probably couldn't vote for himself either. Yeah, probably couldn't vote for himself, but really? there There is an actual barrier to taking office? That seems like a dangerous check on democracy. Like, if you could well, just lock up your opponents on trumped-up charges, and then they couldn't run against you. That seems... That was that terrible. was the issue. Well, you have to be convicted still. Uh, Don Blankenship over in West Virginia, you know, he actually was... He was not eligible to hold office at the time of the primary, but he would have been by the time the uh, general election came around. Now, wait, so. but this also brings up separation of powers issues. I thought the Supreme Court has said clearly that only the Senate can determine the qualifications of its members. Uh, I believe states, though, can still set limits on who's eligible, okay. I want to say. Fair enough. And, yeah, I think in West Virginia, they, or at least, I want to say, maybe on their ability to vote, but I think you still have to be able to vote to hold office. 
I'm not entirely sure, but there was at least some potential shenanigans that might have held up Blankenship if he had managed to win the primary, which he did not. So, but anyhow, yeah, it's moot for Arpaio. Completely, sorry. Yeah. Arpaio, he is pardoned, and he is in the race. He's probably making it easier for McSally to get through the primary because he's siphoning off a lot of the right-wing crazy. Yeah, in fact, but, I think he's the only reason McSally is going to get through the primary. I, I'm yeah. looking at the polls, and Ward and Arpaio are basically tied in every one of them. Yep. 27, 24, 19, 18, 28, 21. They're 25, 26. There's one sort of outlier, 25, 14. But I think Ward's voters and Arpaio's voters are the same voters. I think there's a very strong overlap there, yeah. Uh, which means, yeah, it's probably going to be uh, McSally who faces off against uh, Kirsten Sinema, who is a uh, rep Democratic representative from a fairly uh, evenly matched seat in, I want to say, around Tucson, or yeah, I can't remember exactly. But uh, she is uh, one of the Senate Blue Dogs. She's fairly moderate. Uh but you know she's kind of got a political history that's gone over the all over the map. Uh, I guess for a while she, I think she ran as a Green Party candidate uh, for the state legislature a couple of times in the early aughts. It's centered around Tempe, not Tucson. Tempe. All right. So uh, yeah, uh, but the polling has definitely put her in as a favorite. Uh, I think most polls have had her up at least. Four to five points over McSally. Some outlier polls have had her up by double digits. I don't think it's going to be that far out. But uh, Arizona is another state that has been trending Democratic. Hillary Clinton lost it barely. Uh, so the more things go in that direction, the easier it will be for Democrats there going forward. It It's also represented in the Senate currently by two Republicans who have noted independent streaks. Right, especially for issues like immigration. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're ones that are not afraid to buck their party, although Jeff Flake is painfully the game. Yeah. Might be a little bit immune to that just for being John McCain. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's had some close scares yeah. uh, in, I think, 20, 2010, I think. He had a real close race and probably another fairly close primary in 2016. Uh, but yeah, he's always managed to pull it out. He's probably too high profile to lose in an election but uh yeah it's it's definitely been some uh positive trends at least at the federal level in arizona and i think there's also a fairly competitive governor's race there as well which would be nice because that's where some of the most uh retrograde uh policy tends to coming out of it's out of the uh Arizona governor's office and their legislature. Right next door to that is New Mexico, which has been looking like a solid Democratic hold. However, uh, noted pothead and acquaintance massager uh, <laughs> Gary Johnson is is coming on into the race, uh, or at least announcing he's looking. Thinking about it, yeah, yeah. The uh, libertarian candidate there is. Uh, I think is going to drop out or has said she's going to drop out. And so Gary Johnson has, is making a lot of noise about how he'll get in if she quits. He is so. a two time former governor from, I believe he was a Republican, correct? Yes. Yeah. He was a Republican and he ran for president as a Republican in 2012 before ditching the party to take the libertarian nomination. Yeah. Along with former Maryland governor, I believe, or Massachusetts uh, governor. Yeah, Bill Weld. Who 
basically came out and said, please vote for Hillary. Right, right. You know, yeah. Trump's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, not great for Gary, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, um, lot of, a lot of things Gary did weren't great for Gary. Now, you note that this might be dangerous for the Democrats. Traditionally, libertarians pull more votes from Republicans than they do from Democrats. Yeah. But, but Gary Johnson's, Johnson's a little different. He's his own weird creature. I think uh, Republicans were pretty sick of him by the time he was gone, and they don't particularly care for him not being a part of the party anymore. I don't know if he can come back from those presidential runs, though, man. There were some creepy fucking videos. He looked yeah. stoned. He, he did shoulder massages on, like, three different CNN reporters who all looked extremely uncomfortable with it. He did that weird licking his lips thing. I, I don't yep. even know what that was about. There, there's just, there is no shortage of ways to make this man look cringy as hell in campaign videos. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think he can hold an office again. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the feeling that his stature is probably not too different from you know Jesse Ventura's in Minnesota, kind of an embarrassing relic, you know, where people say, "Wait, no, when we elected him, it wasn't like that. Really, it wasn't." <laughs> Yeah, so I think it puts the seat in a little more danger for Democrats than it was before, but it's probably a hold. Yeah, um, right next door to that is, well, a joke that some people think is fairly competitive. Um, Ted Cruz is up against Beto O'Rourke, who is by no means of not insulting the man. He is a, a, a great public servant from all looks and feels. He's a great person, but Cruz is not in any danger whatsoever. No, he's, uh, I think even the worst polls for him have him ahead by single digits, or double digits, rather. Yeah, uh, there was one from Gravis that has him up nine, which is the most yeah. recent. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it, Texas is still Texas, and Ted Cruz is still a reasonably good fit for Texas. It's a state that's increasingly, you know, getting closer. You know, actually, uh, Clinton came closer in Texas than I believe she did in Iowa or Ohio. <laughs> So, yeah, if if it were ever to actually flip all the way, that would be a massive sea change in American politics, and I don't know how the Republicans could really recover from that this unless they were actually heard of. Though, I mean, Democrats have won Texas in, in living memory. LBJ uh, uh, was from Texas. Yeah, but that's still you know fifty fifty four years ago. Yeah, no. So I'm that's living memory that's for you know probably. A third of the population. Well, I mean, I remember when I was like a kid, we had a Democratic governor in Texas. What, what the hell was yeah. her name? She was a, a, a mammoth woman, not in, in size, I mean. In oh, oh, you mean, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ann Richards. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Democrats have won, yeah, local office there for sure. Uh, yeah, the, even that was a long time ago, though. Uh, Ann Richards was last elected in 1990. So okay. that's I'm, I'm that's old. going on thirty years ago. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's been a fairly long time, and since then it's been W and Rick Perry, and uh, at least in a lot of races recently, uh, Democrats have nominated some you know pretty compelling people who were very very bad fits for statewide races in Texas. You know, uh, the one that comes to mind is Wendy Davis from yeah. last round, and then I think. This time, they're also making a very uh, laudable nomination with, uh, I want to say, is she the mayor of 
Dallas or uh, yeah, I think I, I'm not even sure. Lupe but again, Valdez. Right, who is probably going to, you know, I think the dynamics of the race this time around will mean she will get more votes than Wendy Davis did, but I don't think she's really going to get any closer. She's a former migrant farmer. Uh, she joined up with the Air Force, became a captain. She became a sheriff of Dallas County, uh, and now she's she's running for mayor. Yeah, yeah. She seems and like a fantastic woman for mayor. Sure. All the stuff it, I know about. We put up some good candidates, but yeah, they're just bad fits for the state. And Beto is probably in that ballpark too. You know, he's certainly getting a lot of enthusiasm. He's raising a ton of money, and you know, bless him because you know efforts like this certainly kind of hasten. And they lay the groundwork. I mean, competing in a campaign as big as Texas, even if you don't win, you're developing a lot of experience that can translate into bigger and better campaigns. Sure. Yeah. Or, and you know, lays the ground for the next time somebody runs, yeah. you know, it's more people active and more people voting Democrat and realizing that, you know, no, the party is not just out to steal your guns and, you know, make you have mandatory abortions and all the other things that uh, their pastors have been telling them every week. Martin O'Malley ran for president just so he could run for president again someday and show people that he was innocent. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was the essentially the entire point of his campaign. Yep. So yeah, I you know it's not going to be close this time, but uh, it'll be closer than it has been before, and hopefully it lays the ground for it to be closer still later. Okay. But yeah, s- send your money to Heidi Heitkamp. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, she does. Let's go over to Florida, where things are not looking good for incumbent Bill Nelson, who is uh, a strangely conservative Democrat. I mean, yeah, he, he actually toes the line in a lot of things, but he's, I believe he's fairly outspokenly pro-life. I think that might have been Ben Nelson. Ben Bill Nelson? Nelson? Okay, I may have them mixed up. Well, yeah, they, the the names are very similar, but yeah. There's the also Carrie and Carrie for a while. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, Nelson, he's been a senator for, I want to say, a good three, four terms. You know, I think he first got elected in the 90s, beating Connie Mack. Uh, but he's been around a while, uh, probably a little bit complacent. And he was probably going to have a pretty easy election, but he ended up drawing the probably the strongest Republican challenger anywhere in the country this year in current Governor Rick Scott who is, is Lex Luthor. Uh, that is important to remember. But he also comes he was that popular. Uh, he's at, I want, he's in positive popularity range. I want to say somewhere around, you know, 55, 56% approval. Uh, he's, oh. yeah, uh, hold on. Uh, actually, 538 did a uh, nice little comparison on uh, governors of all 50 states that they just put out yesterday and rick scott is at wow currently net approval of plus 19 so fairly popular in a state that is 50 50 yeah which is weird because he's ridiculously evil if you look at where his money came from and all that he's absolutely the worst uh, but yeah, uh, I guess the economy has been fairly, you know, stable and fairly, uh, fairly hot actually in Florida. And he's been able to take a lot of the credit for that. Uh, and, 
uh, he has more money than God of his own. So he's spending gobs and gobs and gobs of it to uh, buy himself a Senate seat. He, he ran a healthcare company or something like that, if I recall. Correctly. Right. And I think one that was cited for uh, overcharging Medicare. So, yeah, he, he's an evil, evil dude. Um, I do want to apologize to Senator Bill Nelson. He's actually, uh, he, he was at one point rated 100% by Morrow uh, for oh, pro-choice vote in America. They, they've since relaxed on him a little bit. In fact, he's mm-hmm. rated 25% by the National Right to Life Coalition almost entirely because he believes hmm. that the parents of minors who cannot receive abortion should be more protected. Okay, okay. But other than that, he's been extremely solid on everything that could possibly be rated on that topic. So... Not to slander you, Bill Nelson. Yep. You're totally, mostly cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, he's just kind of had the bad luck that he's got a really strong opponent with a lot of money, and he is going to have to go out there and remind voters, you know, why they keep sending him there in the first place and hopefully benefit from a national environment that's more favorable for Democrats in a state that is – well, in living memory, has been about as close as it can get. You know, yeah, if, this was hanging chads a little bit. Exactly. 500 votes out of, you know, several million. And people who couldn't figure out why they were voting for Pat Buchanan. Right. Well, you, yeah. I, if there's one thing I know about elderly Jewish voters is that they love Holocaust deniers. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, all right. We'll we'll go north then. We've got two more races before we, we slice this All right. up. Uh, we'll start with the one that I think is, well, the one that puts me in a moral quandary. Let's go to New Jersey. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, because Bob Menendez is running for re-election uh, and might not make it, and I don't necessarily feel that bad about that. Well, if it means – if for some reason we manage to hold on everywhere else and he does not, then I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah, I think the Reese, there Why was at least running? one poll that had him very close, like only four points ahead of his opponent. And in it, New Jersey, that's ridiculous. The most recent has him up by two. The Gravis poll did from uh, July 6th to July 10th, 565 registered voters. Yeah, he, he is up 43 to 41. I haven't seen that yet. That is appalling. The that one is... the one you were thinking of was from two months before, May 16th, May 21st. Farley Dickinson surveyed 856 people, found him up by four. By the way, the results on that, 28% of people said they would vote for Bob Menendez. 24% said they'd vote for, for Bob Pekin. That's a lot of undecideds. That's, that's more, really yeah, bizarre. Yeah, that, that's half the the sample yeah um well uh, i would say there is at least some precedent for new jersey democrats swapping out a very unpopular incumbent at the last possible minute uh they did that with torricelli in 2002 uh they may do that here unfortunately frank was Lautenberg he the guy was who was dead. basically dead uh no lautenberg is the guy that was basically dead oh, in okay. the in 2013 2014 and uh Booker got a lot of flack for basically uh, saying, look, I'm ready to run, I'm ready to run. I think he was actually filing to run in 2014, and a lot of Lautenberg people were pissed at him. But, yeah, Lautenberg was, did die in office, and uh, they had a special election where uh, Booker was elected in 2013. 
But yeah, he, Lautenberg came back to the Senate in 2002, uh, replacing as Democratic nominee Bob Torricelli, who was uh, under some pretty severe ethics scandals at it the was time. Campaign finance related, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, so there may be some push from the Democrats to replace Menendez if it looks like that's going to be a seat that they lose. Although, good I God, I can't believe think, he's running again. Yeah, well, he decided he wanted to do it, and the uh, party there is hierarchical enough and command and control enough that there was no decent candidate to challenge him. Well, I mean, I want to say no effective candidate to challenge him. They had some, you know, no name with nothing to lose who ran against him and got like 30% of the vote in the primary. But yeah, it's bad. It's real bad. That's that's really bad for a uh, Democratic incumbent in New Jersey. So maybe, maybe wiser heads will prevail in September. All right. But yeah, that's, that's definitely a losable seat. And then uh, just a uh... About 150 miles away from there, we'll wrap this up with West Virginia. Joe Manchin yeah. is fa facing Patrick Morrissey. Morrissey is mm, is the Republican who escaped it all. Manchin really attacked one guy. The Republicans really attacked the other guy. Nobody paid attention to Morrissey. He came through. Um, Manchin, I, I'm not that worried about him. No, he's up by double digits in most of the polls, plus 10, plus 7, plus 13. If you go mm -hmm. back, you know, four months ago, there was a Republican-sponsored poll that had their guy up two. Yeah. Which is, is not all that inspiring for a House poll. Um, all the public polling has him. In fact, even the newest poll from just uh, like a week and a half ago that has him up by 10 is a Republican-sponsored poll from their yeah. candidate. So, I mean... They, they, for some reason, I mean, that's, you know, the state where Trump is the most popular. I think his approval rating there is somewhere around 70% in West Virginia. It's huge. Almost positive he won with more than 70% of the vote. It was damn close. You know, it's, it's his. 68.7. Yeah. Yeah. 68.7%. It's one of the few places in the country where he is truly beloved. Uh, he hasn't done shit for him, but, you know, they love him. And so. Yeah, I think under those circumstances, it should be a tough race. But yeah, Manchin is a good enough retail politician with deep enough roots in the state. His voters that, love him. They absolutely yeah. love him. He he has perfected. I'm I'm very much a, a Manchin fanboy. Not not necessarily his politics. I, mm -hmm. Too conservative for me. But he votes with us more than he doesn't, and he really sticks to his guns on priorities for yeah. a, a red state senator. He has been the cheerleader of the ACA for the last year and a half or so. It's been inspiring to watch. Uh, he, he just he has a great style, and I wish he mm -hmm. could teach some other senators. Uh, Sherrod Brown, right next door in Ohio, is amazing on politics and, and well-beloved, but I, I, I just I think he could put that Ohio seat on permanent lockdown if he knew how to be a better retail politician like Manchin does. Well, right? yeah, and... The Ohio Democratic Party is a total garbage fire, but yeah, well, yeah, Manchin, geez, uh, what was I going to say? You know, I think he gets a lot of flack these days for the few times that he votes out of line, but compared to the conservatives of like 10, 15 years ago, he is a down-the-line Democrat, at least in how his behavior Compared to guys like Evan Bayh or Bob Carey or Joe Lieberman, 
you know, he doesn't go around trashing the national party in public the way those guys did. And uh, he, he tries when he can. After Sandy Hook, Mansion Tobago yeah. was the only real attempt we had to to get some sort of gun violence prevention through through Congress. Yeah. It, it, for a senator from West Virginia, that's a big step out uh, on the plank. And going after guns in West Virginia, yeah, that's huge. And it's just, I, I don't worry about him. I I do not think Mansion loses this race, and I think a lot of people are. A little pessimistic on this, but this is the one that I, I think we walk away with. If you ask me any of these races people consider to be a toss-up, this is the one I would most firmly think goes our way. Yeah. Well, and also, you've got Blankenship still in the mix, potentially mucking things up. I uh, can't. There's a, there's a sore loser law in West Virginia. There is. The Secretary of State has already told him he can't be on the ballot, but he's absolutely going to sue. He's absolutely going to be affecting the conversation up until the point where the state Supreme Court really does drop kick, drop kick him out. But he's gonna, that's going to take months to get there. And in the meantime, he's going to be tearing uh, pieces out of Morrissey's hide all the way along. <laughs> That'll be fun to see. Um, oh, yeah. I guess the only other thing I want to mention here is that there are they're usually counted with the Democrats for these nows, but the two independents in the Senate could both be up for re-election. So, yep, and they're both safe. They're Bernie yeah. Sanders and Angus King, and none of them are going anywhere. No, they're coming back. There is a little bit I don't want to say drama with Bernie, but his son is is running for office in Vermont, and he's going out of his way not to give him any help. Well, his son's a dick. He's even worse than Bernie. <laughs> Sorry, our Bernie fans. I'm definitely cutting is that awful. out of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just letting you know beforehand. Yeah, before we lose all of our subscribers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, that surprised me though. I mean, I, I kind of see it. Bernie strikes me as the guy who's like, you got to do this on your own, son. They have to love you. Yeah. But yeah, I, I did find it was odd that he's he's really not doing anything. He's not even sharing his email list. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I think he's. I think Levi Sanders is a, or Levy Sanders, I think is how it's pronounced, is probably a bit of a long shot in that race, you know, and I think Bernie is probably wise not to associate his brand too closely with that. Okay, uh, let's clear it up real quick with the local stuff because we're already a little over time. Oh yeah, tell us what's going on in Washington up there. You guys had a, a uh, we had a hate crime this week. Uh, yeah, kind of scary stuff. The mayor of Burien, uh, Jimmy Matta, was attacked by, uh, I guess, some longtime critic, you know, nasty guy who's kind of followed him along and stalked him and said terrible things to him about, you know, that Hispanic mayor and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, on Sunday or, yeah, Sunday or Saturday, this uh, guy, you know, snuck up behind him and, I guess, attacked him by the neck. Uh, knocked him to the ground. He was bleeding, uh, and then you know ran away. He, he didn't get arrested until Monday. But uh, I guess this guy has been pretty vocally complaining about uh, sanctuary city policy in uh, Burien. He and, apparently uh, screamed, "I'm not going to let illegals run this community." While he he beat the guy. Yeah, yeah, we're not that's going to crazy. have illegals run this community. Uh, just like that's just this terrible bigoted stuff. Uh, I think there's the possibility of hate crime charges here. At the very least, he's being charged 
with uh, malicious harassment or something like that. Uh, so yeah, that just this terrible, terrible crime. And uh, fortunately, a lot of the political community is standing beside, you know, standing behind Mayor Mata, and uh, just you know condemning this you know terrible violence. And then down here on this side of the Columbia, we had a, a bit of a follow-up with a story we talked about a couple of years ago with Larry Odea, who is our uh, former police chief. He had a bit of a kerfluffle with a hunting accident a couple of years ago uh, where a friend ended up accidentally shot. There was a lot of talk about lying on his report. Um, he was eventually recommended that he have his police license suspended for 10 years. He's also no longer our police chief. He was fired. Um, but the, that penalty has been confirmed. He is now no longer able to serve as a, a policeman for 10 years in the state of Oregon. These suspensions are only statewide, but with that on your record, I have a hard time believing another state will grant you a license. So we're doing a little bit to clean up our police force. Uh, the official reason was dishonesty, which I did not really realize was part of that. You hear a lot about how the Supreme Court has said police are totally allowed to lie it's it's perfectly acceptable which i i agree with i realize i said that with a little bit of yeah. disdain in my voice but i don't really mean that i think that's, I mean, and the evidence accurate. that they gather in that way is legally admissible yeah, yeah yeah uh but the the city investigation found that he misled investigators the board of public safety standards and training uh in april was uh a little bit of a, a thing they refused to accept the earlier recommendation from the police policy committee uh, to not do anything with the certification they sent it back to the committee for further review uh, on May 17th they turned around said that he should lose it for 10 years for dishonesty and uh, also an additional three years suspension of the certification for gross misconduct uh, yeah one man ended up shot by all this uh, hurt I don't believe he died but uh he was under criminal investigation for a while uh robert dempsey was the man who was shot uh with a 22 and yeah mm -hmm. yeah he's uh dempsey yeah dempsey is still alive he's released from the hospital the bullet was a hollow point that entered his back they were unable to remove all of it the bullet's still there but it's not the, okay. uh, the day of the shooting, he told the deputy he thought that the guy had shot himself, and that's why he didn't report anything. Uh, and then Portland's Independent Review Board investigated this and basically tore him apart. Uh, he was indicted on negligent wounding, but uh, the judge agreed to a civil compromise where I guess he just pays a bunch of money and dismissed the charge. I didn't realize a civil compromise was a thing, by the way. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean... That, you know, prosecutorial diversion, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, we are running long, so I think we'll skip the theatrics at the end for what's uh, following. Manafort trial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. So I'll be following that. I think we, we both will, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and we should have at least, you know, more of the crew back next week. Thanks for talking uh, to Senate races with me, Dan. All right. Good talking with you. Uh, I'll actually, I'll actually be out next week. You I've will? got, yeah, I'm gonna be in, uh, gonna be in Tri Cities till Sunday. So where's Tri Cities? Uh, that's southeast Washington. Okay. Nice. Yeah. 
Well, enjoy well, it out there. Not really, but <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be burning alive, man. Exactly. I'm just gonna be hiding in the hotel the whole time. So <laughs> you won't as right. much. Yeah. Talk to you later. Have a good one.